Hey, it's Tony. On today's show, we will talk about the newest members of Baseball's Hall of Fame with Hall of Famer himself, Tim Kirkchin, and we'll get Jeff Ma's picks in the conference championship games. Carville show, not showing, not showing, but first, commerce. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Michael, they need lefty bats, don't yeah, they? Yeah, and more than that, they need some potential upside because you have a couple of young bats who likely will get some play this year. Yeah. So if you can have a veteran, even with the with the strikeouts, uh, I think that's what you're looking for. 177 last year was his batting average. That's a good bowling score for me. 177. <laughs> you think you can still get over 150 in bowling? I don't think so. Maybe. Over 150? That requires you to mark on every frame. I'm not sure I can do that. I only bowl once every two years, so I don't think so. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. If you are in the eastern part of the United States, Middle Atlantic, Northeastern, you're looking at soggy times for the weekend now. You know, but it's going to rain here. Warm, much warmer than anybody Temperatures could ever rose believed. overnight. Yeah, I mean, there's no more snow on the ground where I am. And there may be snow in New England, because there's always snow in New England, but there's no snow in the Middle Atlantic states. Um, okay. I've, I've delayed the Nautica story to such a degree that I no longer even remember the Nautica story. <laughs> we need so the Nautica story. I'm going to start yes. with the Nautica story. And, and for those of you who remember my triumphant $10 discount in Eddie Bauer. It's a great victory. That is what fueled me. You know, that's, that's why the Nautica story happened. Okay. And let me just say this about Nautica stuff. Um, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging it on any level because it's fine stuff. I'm one of those people that I'm not a logo guy. You know, I mean, I love the Johnny O logo and, and oh, Johnny yeah. O is sort of but you so like a subtle logo. Yeah. Johnny O is sort of so exotic at this point. Right. And it's so West coast that when I wear it in the East, it, it makes me very happy. But by and large, I'm not a logo person. So I don't. I have trouble with Polo, for example, because they go out of their way. Not only is their logo too large, but they go out of their way to put a large contrast in colors so that your eyes are always drawn to the logo. So I don't well, buy that. It cycles that. through every couple of years. All these brands that go through, you know, is it something that's sports specific where you might have a quieter logo? Like for some of these golf shirts, you get it on the on the back yoke. But yes, I, I definitely yeah. see the, the lifestyle logo that you're discovering, the one that takes up the entire front of the shirt. Right. So Nautica, for example, Nautica is a sailboat. Yes. That's theirs. It's a sailboat. And it's pretty big. And it is often, if not almost exclusively, in a contrast in color. So I don't buy a lot of things at Nautica. I go for very specific things at Nautica. And I got, as people get, I got some email from Nautica. And I, I, guess, I guess you get this because when you buy something at a store, they register your email or your phone or something, and they prey upon you for the rest of time. Even when you're dead, you still get these things. So I got this thing from Nautica, and I went through it because I had nothing else to do. And it had something that I really wanted. And Michael can attest to this. It had sleeping pants. I wanted sleeping pants. I, you know, it's now the winter. I don't want, I have sleeping shorts, but I was looking for sleeping pants. And these are sort of woolish, I think. And they are that lovely, um, it's not, I guess it's a tartan plaid, but it's not with the red. It's the like green, green and the blue. You know, it, it's, oh, it's yeah. subtle. Nobody, it doesn't pop out. 
And so they advertised it. Very 90s. On the, huh? Is it 90s? No, I'm yes. 90s soon. I'm getting to be in my 90s. <laughs> so they advertised it on, on the website. In other words, I was able to find it for $12.88. I clicked on the pants. They hadn't said what it was. I clicked on the pants. The pants came up larger in my phone, and it said twelve eighty eight. It's a great deal. Twelve eighty eight sounded great. Yes. You know, I mean, I'm going to wear these for a couple of years. I'm wearing them every single night, and I like them, and I wanted them. And there's a Nautica store near where I was in Delaware. There's a Nautica store. Okay. So I drive to the Nautica store, and I say I'd like these pants, and the salesperson goes and gets the pants, and they're absolutely what I want. And, and I, had, when I called earlier, and I said, do you have these? And she said, yes. Well, I don't know if it's the same person, but the woman who answered said yes. Sure. And I said something like, I think they're twelve eighty-eight, And she said, oh, you can probably get them for $8 because things are discounted here. You know, 40% off, 30% off, 50% off. That's fantastic. Now, this is in my head. <clears throat> I'm really excited because I'm going to get something I really want. The logo's not going to bother me because I'm sleeping in these pants. I'm not wearing them so other people can see it. Right. And I'm going to get it for under $10. I'm really happy. So <laughs> I go, huh, what? Maybe. Maybe. It's, right. As it turns out, maybe yeah. is the correct word. So she gives me the pants, and I check out with the pants, and she says $16.99. And I go, one. I thought they were twelve eighty eight, and I thought they'd be further discounted. And she goes, "No, no, they're sixteen ninety nine. That is discounted, but they're sixteen ninety nine." So, armed with what I had learned from calling Eddie Bauer, I simply bought them because now I knew that justice would prevail, and I would talk to somebody, and I would be told, "Oh, yeah, fine," and we will credit your credit card. Now I, I am. I'm happy. I, I know this is going to happen. This is a can't-miss thing. So I go home, and I look up Nautica, and it says, contact us. And I don't want to FaceTime back and forth. I don't want to do any of that. And I try to find a phone number, and I find a phone number for customer service. I'm probably the only person calling today because nobody calls anymore. Nobody's actually answering the phone. And I get someone. And I have a little difficulty understanding the accent, but, you know, I'm going to press through because I have right and justice on my side. And I say, I got this thing on my phone and it said 1288. And it was a man. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I went to the store and they charged me 1699. And he said, yeah. And what do you mean? Yeah. I, like, shouldn't I get the credit? <laughs> yes, that makes shouldn't sense. I get $4 off? And he said, No. Our prices online are different than our prices in the store. And I said, well, how can that be? I went to one of your stores. I, I, I traveled to buy this. How can it be more in the store? And the only thing I could think of, and I didn't say this out loud, was it's less online, I guess, because they charge you for shipping or something like that, but I don't know. But, but I couldn't, he would not give me the, the... Wouldn't budge. No, he would not. He would not. He would not. And I was... Victory for the millennials right here. I was defeated and bothered. <laughs> well, yeah. What do you think of that, Michael? Well, so 
I'm just interested that you never got an answer as to why it went from $12.99 to $16.99 in the store. I'm sure on the online they have an algorithm that says if we can get you to buy one more item, if we can get you into those $13 pants, you're likely going to want to meet the threshold for free free shipping, which might be yes. $75, $100, $150, and we'll throw in free returns. And then you start to think about the operating cost of having, you know, that store uh, being, you know, being run by a couple of people and the cost of that. But I... I'm just surprised you got such a clear answer so quickly. Yeah. I maybe it was maybe that's he just read from a sheet. Did you I return like the pants? No, I like them. And 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 to be fair, 16.99 is not a lot of money. <laughs> Man, I'm not going to go nuts here. No. It's not a lot of money and I like the pants and I I can't find the logo on them. So it's even a win-win. But my my position was if you send me something that this is what it costs for your brand on this item, I should get that in a store too. I, that's my position. Well, it's not just that. It was that the, the By first. By the way, one- I will tell you that George um, Bushby at, at uh, Rehoboth, every time I see him, he's, he goes crazy when I do these store things. He says, <laughs> I laugh so hard. You're so ridiculous. Like Eddie Brown the other day, I walked into, I walked into the bar at Rehoboth, and Eddie Brown is, is a, a friend yes, and a, a great golfer. No, he's, he looked at me, I had a sweater on. He said, does that zip from the left to the right? And I said, <laughs> I just thought that was pretty funny. So, but I, that my position would be if you advertise it as your brand, I should get that in the store. And you think not? Well, what is your, what is your position on gas prices, cash versus credit? Well, if they give me a discount for cash, I always use cash. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So you, but if we apply that to online, it doesn't work. So I would get a discount online as opposed to walking into the store and paying directly there. Yeah. If it just I guess happens I, to be easier for their, for their computing. So they don't want stores. Probably, right? probably down the road, they probably they, they don't. They don't want stores. Yeah, because the overhead, as Michael talked about, the, you know, the cost of, of operating it, rent or whatever. So I'm, I'm one out of two now. Yeah. I'm, I'm a well, triumphant in Eddie Bauer and a loser with Nautica. Well, my, well you're my, a winner because you got pants you like. Well, that's true. That's true. Yes, but I didn't get them at the price I thought I'd get them at, but what, yes. What about the woman who said you could probably get them for cheaper, like eight bucks? What happened to that whole plan? I don't know. I don't There's know what There's always happened. a secret coupon at the Tango Outlets. And I didn't have, I didn't have anything like that. And, and she said, we can give this to you with a shirt as well, a sleeping shirt kind of thing for 25 I said, no, I don't want that. I got sleeping shirts. Right. I don't need that. I went to Eddie Bauer to buy sleeping shirts, <laughs> you know, but... So I, I lost. I, I lost. Yeah. And I'm done with Nautica now. <laughs> done. I'm done. Dead, dead to you. I'm yeah. just imagining how quickly you got into your car after calling to see if they had the pants in stock and what you thought to yourself as you're driving the 15 minutes up the highway to the store. I thought I had a big win. Yeah. I thought I was going to win huge at this time. I was, I was thinking eight bucks. You were already in the post-game conference, you know, yeah, press conference, I was, right? Yeah. So anyway. Now, were you going to is- celebrate after you got the pants at uh, Crust and Craft? No, that wasn't as good as I hoped it would be. And that, that pizza joint wasn't as good as like I hoped it would be. Two pizzas for $15? That was really good because I think it was Tuesday discount night, but it wasn't, A you senior know. discount? I don't know. I th- <laughs> Maybe. Well, I, Carol picked it up, so I don't know. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Anyway, um, Jim Harbaugh, by the way, in sports news, because we're, we're going to talk to Tim Kirchin, and we're not going to talk about Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has taken the job at San Diego or Los Angeles. Um, it still feels like San Diego. Yeah. And, and by the way, it's a great job for him. Sure. Plus, he's getting a lot of money, 
and he's got a quarterback, and he knows quarterbacks. He was a quarterback, and I could see him winning this thing, although in the AFC, boy, are they loaded with great quarterbacks. The AFC has Patrick Mahomes, and they have Lamar Jackson, and they have Joe Burrow, and they have Trevor Lawrence, and they have Josh Allen, and Aaron Rodgers is going to be in the AFC when he's healthy, and they've got um, Justin Herbert. I mean, they are loaded with quarterbacks. They've got, oh, C.J. Stroud. They got the best quarterbacks, so it's not going to be easy for Harbaugh. My personal feeling, I'm sorry he left Michigan. I'm sorry he left Michigan. He could have stayed at Michigan for life. It's his alma mater. He won a national championship. Will Bond would point out it's the easiest time to leave, and it is. It is. You leave after you. Nobody can be angry at you, and then you run away from the sheriff if the sheriff is coming to get you. You run away from the sheriff, but I, you know, I guess he's, his record is remarkable in college and the pros. It really Everywhere is. Everywhere he's gone, he's he won wins a lot. Big Stanford, San he Francisco. Wins big. Yeah. Stanford, nobody wins at Stanford. Yeah, he wins big. Yeah. So I guess he knows what he's doing. And, and you know, his, he's worked in both California markets, worked in Northern California. Now he's going to work in LA. Oh, a friend of mine suggested that the better coach for that team would have been Pete Carroll. Because oh. Pete Carroll might have packed the stands because people remember him so fondly sure from, from USC. USC. Yeah. You know. But they picked Harbaugh. Anyway, so that's it for me. That's my open. Um, we'll have Tim Kirkchin when we return. Yes. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Scott Parker sent this in. This is Midlife's Crisis. They uh, play out of Frederick, Maryland, which got a lot more snow than Washington did. Yes, it did. It's like 50 miles up the road and got a lot more snow. Um, This is called 16 Hours by Midlife's Crisis. We've played stuff by them before. We have. We like them. We're happy. Very happy with them. And they play in Tim Kirchin. And we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame first and then talk about free agency. So three guys got in. Gary Sheffield did not get in. I didn't realize Gary Sheffield had 500 home runs. Somebody told me that the other day. I didn't know that. Agent Beltre and Joe Maurer got in on first ballot. Joe Maurer got in narrowly on first ballot. Beltre crushed it. And Todd Helton got in on his sixth try. Your evaluation on that. All deserving, more, some more than others. What are your thoughts? Yes, all deserving. I, I voted for all of these guys every year. They were eligible, of course. This is Beltre's first time. Mm-hmm. Beltre is, to me, one of the certainly ten best third basemen ever, one of the five best defense third basemen ever that I've seen. 
3,000 hits, nearly 500 homers. And get this, Tony, he never wore a cup at Whoa. third base. Just amazes me As we that you can play that position without wearing a cup. I asked him once, like, how could you do that? Yeah, and he what showed you, me what his hands, and he goes, that's what these are for. So <laughs> definitely yeah. Adrian Beltre, there was no question that he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm surprised it took Todd Helton this long, but the fact that he played in Colorado that's and it. had an OPS. Right. 200 points higher at, at home. home than he did on the road. That held him back. But fortunately, he made it in because he's one of the best hitters of his generation. And I'm a little surprised Joe Maurer made it on the first ballot, even though I repeat, I voted for him. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, Tony, when you just go and look at those first 10 years, his 10 years as a catcher, they were historic I mean, there have been seven batting titles won by a catcher. He won three of them. History. He won three of them. Hey, uh, you got to put him in. He was a catcher. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, people look at him and say, well, when he moved to first base, he was not a real productive first baseman, all of which is true. But I'm basing this on the 10 years behind the plate. He did things that no one has ever done. So all three of those guys belong in the Hall of Fame for me. It was a great day for baseball a couple days ago. Here's what surprised me very much in the notes that I had, that Joe Maurer became only the third catcher along with Johnny Bench and who am I leaving out? Uh, Pat Rodriguez to be voted in the first ballot. And when I was talking with some of the people at PTI, I said, wait a second, Yogi Berra didn't get in on the first ballot? Carlton Fisk? With all those games, didn't get in, and they said no. Did that surprise you at all, Yogi? Well, Yogi got in on the third try, Tony. Yeah, the third I do what? Try. What? Three MVPs, yes. three second place MVPs. For me, after Johnny Bench, the greatest catcher ever, it took him three times to get in. DiMaggio didn't get in on the first ballot either, by the way. But you can't look back at that and say, well, Yogi didn't get in on the first ballot. How can I vote for so-and-so on the first ballot? Because he's not as good as Yogi. That's compounding the mistake. It was a mistake back then. It's ridiculous that Yogi Berra was not a first ballot Hall of Famer, given that he won 10 rings. And it was integral on that team in every one of them. So this sets up this question. When Buster Posey is eligible, do you think he gets in first? I I do. I think he's going to get in because Joe Maurer is going to pave the way for him. Just like Joe Maurer, uh, Buster Posey won an MVP. Just (laughs) like uh, uh, Joe Maurer, he won a batting title. Uh, But what puts him different than Joe Maurer is he was the best player on three championship team that's right and even though he retired a little bit early and his career numbers are not staggering he was a historic player given that he was a catcher on three championship teams won a batting title mvp so yes i think to help buster posey get into the hall of fame okay gary sheffield in or out I voted for him every year. All 10 years, he was eligible. Uh, he hit 500 homers, as you said. He had an OPS well over 900, better than Willie McCovey, which is really saying something because Willie McCovey was a feared, feared hitter. Um, and I know, Tony, I know I did a story once on 
playing third base and how dangerous that is. And about of the 33rd baseman I asked, about 20 of them mentioned, well, the guy I don't want at the plate uh, to hit a ball at me when I'm in close at third is Gary Sheffield. That's how dangerous and how hard he hit a baseball. What really hurt him was, A, he was in the Mitchell Report, so people held yep. that against him. But also, he traveled around to so many teams, Padres, Braves, Yankees, Tigers, all that, that you, you can't identify him as the best player or the best right fielder so-and-so's ever had because he moved around so much. But I look past that. He was a really, really good offensive player for a long time. If you had 500 homers and an OPS way over 900, you're a Hall of Famer for me. Okay, let's uh, get it down to who's playing this year. Reese Hoskins to Milwaukee. Um, you surprised at that at all? No. Uh, the Brewers were a subpar offensive team last year, and they have been for several years. They were in desperate need of offense. He is a middle-of-the-order hitter. That's assuming he comes back from that terrible knee injury and is the Reese Hoskins of old. He'll, he'll hit 30 home runs, maybe 35 in that ballpark. He's got a lot to play for because it's a two-year deal with an opt-out, so he could leave after a year and go get more money if he wants. He is a tremendous teammate, a great leader. The Phillies loved him, and now the Brewers are going to love him also, assuming that knee is healed and he's back to being the hitter he used to be. Why did the Phillies not want him? Well, they have Bryce Harper to play first base now. And with the way they rotate the designated hitter, if they brought Reese Hoskins back, they they just wouldn't have the same position for him. Because with Harper's arm injury, he has to play first First. base. So there wasn't a spot for him. That's all. All right. uh, On a local level, Joey Gallo who sometimes hits more than 150, <laughs> goes to Washington. He's a good he's – a, he's a threatening player, but he – you know, I, it's, it's Kyle Schwarber in effect, although he's a much better fielder than Kyle Schwarber. I don't know that he's got the pop that Schwarber has right now. What are your thoughts on him going to Washington? Well, he's got the pop with, with anybody in the game, Tony, but he just doesn't hit as many homers as Kyle Schwarber. And, yes, he's a – He's a very good defensive player mm-hmm. at three different outfield positions, and he can play first base. And for a big guy, he can really run. But, Tony, he is the poster boy for the through three true outcomes, walks, strikeouts, homers. That's pretty much all he does is walk, strike out, or hit a home run. Tony, this is the guy, remember, and I'm not poking fun at him, but he has two sacrifice flies in his entire career. He's played, <laughs> he played eight years. He has two <laughs> sacrifice lives. Just try to picture this, Tony. He hit 96 homers in the major leagues before he hit a sacrifice fly. He hit 96 balls over a fence before he hit one to the, that was caught at the warning track and allowed a guy from score from third with less than two outs. It's an, his statistical line is one of the craziest things in the history of baseball. He hits under 200 every year. He strikes out over 200 times virtually every year. But when you make a mistake with him, he can hit a baseball as far as any man on the face of the earth. And he is a useful player defensively and on the bases. 
So in 2021, when he hit 38 home runs, he had 213 strikeouts. That's an unbelievable sum of strikeouts, Tim. It really is. It's amazing. But, but Tony, people strike out 200 times all the time. Kyle Schwarber, who's a really good player, has struck out 200 times the last two years. And we value him tremendously, as we should. This is the game we play today, Tony. This is what the industry has asked Joey Gallo to do. Just hit homers. Just walk as many times as you can, and if you strike out 200 times, we'll accept it. So right. I think he's a great pickup for the Nats to see if he can, you know, he's in a you know less pressurized situation here than, say, the Yankees. I think he'll do very well. Blake Snell, has he announced where he's going yet? A two-time Cy Young winner? Do we have sense of Blake Snell? Um, we don't, and I'm a little, hmm. I'm a little hmm. confused why he hasn't signed yet. The problem is, Tony, as you know, he has two Cy Youngs in his career and no complete games. Think, <laughs> think, think about that for a second. More Cy Youngs, two, than complete games, zero. And that's why one reason why people aren't knocking his door down, even though he's going to get paid at the end because he's got such great stuff. But he, you know, he averages six innings per start, and meaning the bullpen is going to be used a lot. But a lot of teams are still interested in him. The Yankees could really use him. I don't think he's out with the Mets. All sorts of teams in on him. I'm taking this one. Um, is there anybody else we should be talking about? Any big name that has not committed yet? Well, most of the the really big guys are gone now. So I think what we need to do is just watch one more time for two guys to potentially be traded. One is Dylan Cease, pitcher for the White Sox, who's got, again, electric stuff. And Corbin Burns of the Brewers, who has sensational stuff. He's a really good pitcher, and he's a free agent at the end of the year. I thought one of those guys would be dealt by now. This is something we have to keep our eye on between now and the beginning of the season. And to answer your other question, we still have to keep our eye on Cody Bellinger, where he's yeah. going. He has resurrected his career, Tony. He's a center fielder. He's a first baseman. He can play the corners. He can run. And I think he, after three down seasons, he, he found what he was missing last year. I think he's a really good player again. And he still doesn't have a team, even though the Cubs are the Cubs still don't very want him? interested in bringing well, the, him back. Yeah, the Cubs should want him. I mean, he did great yes. there. They yes, great. and the Cubs yeah. are in a winnable division, Tony. They yeah. have money to spend. I, I'm a little surprised it hasn't happened yet that they have brought him back. All right. Thank you, Tim. As always, it's great to talk about baseball because the pitchers and catchers are going to report in a week or two. So thank you, Tim. Right. Oh, okay, Tony, see you. Tim Kirkson, always happy to be on the show. Makes love me Tim. happy. Yeah. Love, love him. We will take a break. When we come back, Jeff Ma will be with us. James Carville, not sure. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is our friend Nathan Morris, who sent us a bunch of stuff. This is a song called Yet. And Nathan writes, it's currently number 18 on the AC charts. 
Now, I've narrowed that down to Atlantic City and air conditioning. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, the adult, AC charts. Adult contemporary, I believe. Oh, is that what that means? Yes. So I'm wrong about Atlantic City and <laughs> air conditioning? I think so. It's a radio term. Sean could back me up on this. AC is adult contemporary, right, Sean? Correct. Yes. Oh, so then it's better than just being number 18 in Atlantic City. Uh, yeah, a bit. A bit. Oh, good for Nathan. Michael, if people like Nathan Morris want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyQuinezerShow.com. I think I prefer air conditioning. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now, Carville's a no-show today. He's slammed, but he didn't send picks yet. Although, this is our last show of the week. So yes. if he waits till Sunday night to send them, I don't know what we can do with that. By I way, don't. But I Jeff just, is going to be on. I just want to say that when Carville says, sends a note, he says, I can't do tomorrow or I can't go. He always spells it G-E-A-O-U-S. Yeah, sure, yeah. For the LSU spelling. Yeah, I love go that. Go Tigers. <laughs> sure. I love that. Jeff is with us. And so I'll read this anyway, but I'll, I'll, I'll edit it. This week's picks with Jeff Ma are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. So here's... Here's my overall question. You can talk about whatever you want, but you were one and three last week. You were two and four the week before, coming out of like four weeks in a row when you were sizzling hot in the regular season. In the playoffs, took a downturn to three and seven. Is that something that you think about? Is that something that is explicable? Or is it just something that's annoying and you don't really understand it? Um, well, it's certainly annoying. Um, right. Do I understand it? Well, there's a few reasons why, probably. In the regular season, I'm getting to pick five out of, whatever, 13, 15, 17, 16 games. Yeah. This, you know, now I'm picking every game, and some of the games you don't really see a ton of value, but because, you know, I wake up at 5 a.m. for you, I feel like I need to pick something. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there, 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 is, there is definitely a difference in the regular season versus – the uh, the playoffs um, in terms of selection and and I think I mentioned this last week. I mean I do think the markets become very very efficient um, and so you know some of these games do come down to you having a opinion counter to the market and when that happens you know you're you're you can be right or you can be wrong and and you know ultimately again if you are in the regular season where you have more games to look at. There's more yeah. of a chance that the market is wrong on certain things, and there's more of a chance that your opinion or the thing, the hypothesis that you have that differs from the market um, can be right. So if you if you look at this week's game, right, you have a situation where I think both favorites are probably undervalued by traditional in-season analytics. So what is the market seeing that we're not seeing? Well, certainly in the Baltimore game, the market is seeing that, uh, you know, no one wants to big bet against Mahomes. Yes. The narrative yes. is how good Mahomes has been in the playoffs, you know, six straight AFC championship games. And so you're getting a little bit of value on Baltimore. So if you want to bet on Baltimore there, your hypothesis really is that the market is overreacting to sort of this playoff Mahomes because for, from, a in, from a season's perspective and ratings, you know, Baltimore is a much better team than Kansas City. So which will you take in that? I would take Baltimore. I'll take Baltimore minus the three and a half. Um, you know, there's a similar situation in the San Francisco game, right. not to the same extent, where I think again the narrative here is that Detroit is the you know, much better is has been playing much better than San Francisco. San Francisco may still be the better team. 
by the market's ratings, but Detroit is playing much better. And Purdy gave people, has given people over the last three to four weeks a lot of worry about whether you know, he went from being this MVP candidate to all of a sudden being a guy that seems like the worst of the you know four quarterbacks left. Um, and so you're getting a little bit of value on San Francisco, not as much value on Detroit. Um, and, and actually, in this case, I'm going to take Detroit with the points, with seven points, because I do think they are going to have a lot of success moving the ball against San Francisco. Um, I think San Francisco will win this game, but I think the seven points is, is a little bit too much for me to pass up. I, I, just, I find this very interesting. I mean, Detroit is now the sentimental favorite uh, that's left. If Detroit had played Buffalo, people would have been very, very happy. And I'm wondering, and it's not that I don't think Detroit is good, because I do think Detroit is good. But they they have won narrowly in recent weeks, I felt. Um, I don't know. But my, my issue with this game would be San Francisco. Because San Francisco, the whole does not look as good as the sum of the parts there. You would agree with that, right? On defense and offense, it just doesn't look good. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because, you know, ever since you know, the whatever Philly game um, – they've been a little bit pedestrian in, in yeah. how we've looked at them. They haven't had a ton to play for, to be honest, and obviously the Baltimore game was probably the one that has people the most worried. Yes. Um, I think the thing that's concerning to me is they're not they're just not getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and this is a team that you know traded for Chase Young and has this elite defensive line. Uh, they just haven't been great on the defensive line. Haven't been great. On, I'm not as worried on offense. I think they'll be fine, especially if Debo plays. Even if Debo doesn't, I mean, I think last week's the game where probably their game plan was so centered around Debo that ha- losing him early probably threw them a little bit for a loop, knowing how much Kyle scripts things and Kyle prepares things specifically for each game. Uh, but it is their defense that worries me, and it worries me that Detroit will be able to score a lot okay. on them. And you want to now? Before we went on the air, you said you wanted to talk about analytics and Wilbon, which is oil yeah. and water, of course. <laughs> unless, and I need to point this out, Wilbon has ranted repeatedly about how analytics is the bane of all sports, except, except you know when people in Chicago use it successfully, like Joe Madden. <laughs> You know, Theo Epstein. Oh, yeah. Well, with him, it's different. It's genius. It's different with him because he's actually looking at it also. He's looking out on the field and then applying analytics like it's some sort of suntan lotion. <laughs> I just, but please, Jeff, go ahead. Well, I, I think the notion of analytics, just, and it's not just Wilbon. I mean, we can make fun of him because that's fun. But, like, yeah. the notion of analytics has gotten this, like, almost like it's a person that people can insult and it's not it's just simple math and all these math you know uh things that have become more prevalent in sports have advanced sports and advanced how we think about things and and, it, and it's all competitive advantage if you know we like like teams look at the rules of a game like three being worth more than two in basketball and realize that that's an inefficiency and therefore if they shoot more threes they're going to win more games, and they should space the floor to do that. Is that analytics, or is that just being smart and looking for an advantage in a game and using the tools in front of you, meaning the stats and the data? The, the recent thing that Wilbon said, you know, and that everyone's been, like, getting on Tampa for going for two last week down by 14. I would have gone for two right basic. there. I would have done. 
I would have gone for two right there. I would have definitely gone for two. Gives you a chance yeah. to win the game. Yes. So that's the big difference, right? Because the 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 diff, you know, I think that a lot of people have this idea. Oh, well, if they go for you know two extra points, they can tie the game in regulation and they won't lose the game. But they're going into overtime, which at best they're fifty fifty or they're close to fifty fifty, and so they haven't guaranteed themselves any win. And if you have a chance. To give yourself a chance to win in regulation, you should do that in that situation. And that's precisely why the Green Bay Packers were in the playoffs, because they did that against the New Orleans Saints. You know, so it's, it's, I, I think the thing that I would, you know, that drives me crazy about the Wilbon thing is he will say things like, oh, this is a lazy approach, just analytics. Well, he's lazy for not actually understanding why we do this or why this happens. That's the lazy thing that people have taken so little effort to, you know, these people that have played the game or that know the game and studied the game and these math nerds, like, you know, it's the reality is they are lazy for not understanding why this is a better strategy. And then all of a sudden they can take claim and say, okay, it's not analytics, it's just logic and we can move on. If we called it information instead of analytics, it might be better. But if you, if you isolated Mike, if you put him in a booth and you said, really, what drives you the craziest? What he would honestly tell you is pitching in baseball. The sort of by rote inserting bullpen people, you know, without really paying attention to what is going on in the game, having an overarching plan and not a specific plan based on what he sees. And he hates the fact that starting pitchers are yanked when they're yanked. I mean, honestly, Jeff, I, I think I, he then expands it to everything, which drives everybody crazy. But I suspect that that is the one thing that drives him the craziest. And I am emotionally with him on many of those things. How are you on that? I think that one's hard, honestly. I, I agree with that, being someone that like grew up loving baseball. The, there's a lot of data that says you know, every time through the order, uh, a starting pitcher diminishes Loses. his effectiveness. Yep. Yep. And, then, and that's just like how many times you've seen the pitcher. And then the other issue, obviously, is pitch count. You know, pitchers get tired, and the way that we train pitchers, specifically in the, in the United States, is that they don't throw a lot of pitches typically. So... They're not used to it. And, and then, the, the, you know, that final thing is, what do you trust? Do you trust the historically big lot of numbers, meaning like what you know over a large sample size? Or do you trust what you've seen over the course of, you know, 27 batters on that given day? And honestly, I don't, I think it's a science, not an art. So I, I think probably this is one where I would, I would agree a little bit more with him in terms of, hey, there is, you know, this, there is no perfect answer here. And ultimately, you know, managers may take the, you know, the way out, which is essentially just going with what the plan was, the process, trusting that process. He hates versus, that. You know, yeah. Well, that's he the hates reality, that. I mean, though, if, like, if you ask him, if, if you just mention pitching to him, the first statistic he will always give you is complete games. Do you, do you know what I mean? Because that's because he grew up Ferguson Jenkins in Chicago through a lot of complete games. So. And I love him, so I will defend him on this. But I'm not defending him on the two points. That, that, was, that was out of left, totally out of left field. Who's on Bet the Process this week? Uh, let's see. This week we had uh, – gosh, you always ask me this, and for whatever reason – Because it made a great I'm, impression on you, obviously, I'm, whoever was on. I'm so Will on, right? No, we had Adam Levitan on. Right. Um, and he is a uh, daily fantasy guy, but also a projections guy. 
And what we actually talk about, which is pretty interesting, is I don't know if you saw that ESPN bet your bosses, I guess now your partner, they offered some pretty interesting betting promotions where they were when, you know, the, the Ravens uh, were minus 9.5, minus 10. They offered them at minus 9.5, plus 110, meaning you actually got almost like what the book's odds were on that game. So, in other words, instead of betting 110 to win 100, you bet 100 to win 110. Oh. And no one in the market really understands why they did that, whether they did that for promotional purposes or what. Um, so we explore a little bit about why that was okay. and, and whether they were whether they taken some big bets on the Texans that were trying to lay that off or not. I, I you know, I am not a better, um, and I look at. Uh, ESPN getting involved in this. I look askance at this. I have to concede. I mean, I know it's a big market and and something that a lot of people do, but I don't. I try to look the other way because I don't really get it. Uh, we will talk to you uh, before the Super Bowl. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Tony. Jeff Ma, boys and girls, and this week's picks with Jeff Ma have been brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. And again, Jeff is taking Baltimore minus. Three and a half and Detroit plus seven. And we will come back with email and jingle. And I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Wait, oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Tony. Wait, wait, Mr. Tony. Mr. Tony, look and see. Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. That's Ronnie Newmeyer. That's How absolutely brilliant. How great is that? I ain't Dan Bird or Not even DJ. That's just wonderful. Thank you, Ronnie. Just oh, love thank that. you, Ronnie. Yeah, he was so excited to hear Joe Arrow and company doing the big box of that, the pink Cadillac jingle. This one's going to be in the, the rotation. That's yeah, just this wonderful. is in the rotation now, too. That's just so great. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, searching for the break of day, searching for something to say, dancing lights against the sky, giving up, I close my eyes, sitting cross-legged on the floor. 25 or 6 to 4. That's Chicago. I've never understood a word of that song. (laughs) I don't know why it's called 25 or 6 to 4. It's a great song, though. Yeah, it's fine. It's 50 years old. (laughs) Thanks to our guests today, Tim Kirch and HOF, uh, Jeff Maher. Thanks also to today's sponsors. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey. If you get show through an Apple, please leave us a review. So... Uh, the first two emails are the vindication of Nigel. <laughs> One is from Alan Cohen in Falmouth, uh, Massachusetts, not far enough from Revere. It says, even this 67-year-old, soon-to-be-a-TK-like curmudgeon, knows that at the KC games, Taylor Swift has attended, that is Patrick Mahomes' wife that is hanging out with her. Come on, man, it's all over the Internet. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not all over the Internet, so I don't know that. And from Mark in Toledo, Nigel was correct. 
The woman next to and hugging Taylor Swift in the Buffalo suite was Brittany Mahomes, Patrick's wife. Also, Taylor and Brittany Mahomes were seen having dinner together in New York City on Monday night. Obviously, best friends. Jason Kelsey, by the way, is married with three children. Yes. So this is not, I didn't know any of these things. So Occasionally, I get something right. Um, from Rob Lowe, not that Rob Lowe, <laughs> in North Royalton, Ohio. He writes, I'm starting to wonder if you should have Wilbon drug tested. Did he actually say he would root for both the Packers and Lions as a Bears fan? I was born nearly 52 years ago in the Laurel Highlands, just east of Pittsburgh. From a young age, I was taught only four things mattered. God, family, country, and the Steelers. That's it. That's the list. And the order of importance is fluid depending upon the situation. <laughs> to suggest that I would root for either the Browns or the Ravens is actually an insane thought. I would rather have root canal and a colonoscopy done simultaneously and without anesthesia than root for the Ravens. I won't eat crab cakes during the NFL season because it is associated with Baltimore. I think the use of the color purple should be outlawed. Root for the Ravens. Come on, man. What are we even doing out here? My disdain for Cleveland is somewhat less as I have lived happily in Northeast Ohio for over 25 years. And my wife and children, all non-masculine children, are Browns fans. I will admit that I encourage their fandom of the Browns as they grew up in Cleveland. It's odd, but I would feel like a hypocrite telling them not to have the same passion for their hometown team as I have for Pittsburgh. Pigs will fly before I root for the Browns, but I don't rage against them like I do with Baltimore. You know what I'm rooting for? That hours before the game starts is an act of God that allows the Chesapeake Bay to swallow up that dumpster they call a stadium. <laughs> Hope Jason Lockenfora loses his Wi-Fi connection and can't broadcast about the Ravens. Hope Baltimore runs out of Old Bay. Hope the O's have a tax lien put on Camden Yards. Curses to Baltimore and all their fans, and this is how you should feel about division rivals. <laughs> it's sort of a refutation of, <laughs> it is. of Wilbon. Yes. This is from Stuart. Let's, it's long. Oh, he sends Stuart D. He sends a picture of Carville. What, what is, oh, I should read this, right? <laughs> Can we move on from David Aldrich moments and start doing uh, James Carville bleeping moments where Littles report hearing James curse in the wild? A box <laughs> score of a delightful Carville appearance earlier this week in a virtual talk at Drew University. F-bomb. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Um... <laughs> You know, something was it uh, twice he twice he he insulted God and then he had an alternative word for poop four different times. <laughs> On the first note, the first GD came when discussing the power of narrative. James wearing a glittery Mardi Gras themed cowboy hat and matching long sleeve polo photo attached. Explain the classic setup, conflict, resolution structures of all stories using the Godfather and Winnie the Pooh as his two examples. To quote verbatim. You meet the Godfather and Michael and Sonny and everything else, and then the Turk shoots the Godfather, and the rest of the thing is about the conflict, and at the end, Michael kills them all. I used to read my little children Winnie the Pooh with Piglet and Tigger or Trigger or I don't know, Charles Robert, whatever they were. It was always the same. You met all these people in a hundred-acre wood. Winnie couldn't find the honey. They'd all look around, and a human kind of guy would come in and find the honey. It's the same GT story. It's the same thing. Having never read a single Winnie the Pooh book in my life, thanks to James liking it structurally to the Godfather, I'm heading to the local library to check it out. It's just we have such long emails, and it's a great picture of Carville, by the way. It's it really long is. Emails. A nice hat. Leave From the Jason honey. Bowen in Dover, Delaware. Often I have heard you read an email that connects people who know each other but didn't know the other was a listener. But after Monday's show, I have now heard you read emails from three different people, from people that I know and haven't seen in years. I was wondering what the show connection record is. Have others had this experience? And I was wondering what this says about me. My first connection is Cam, the high school administrator from Bridgeville, Delaware, who offered you directions through central Delaware <laughs> and tells you about the color and the number of the shirts in his closet. I taught middle school with him 20 years ago. My favorite memory of Cam was me sitting... Uh, 
in Camden Yards in the, in the warehouse bar area, safe dry with other guys we attended the game with during Orioles rain delay. Cam was stuck outside in the rain on Utah Street due to the limit. And that's Utah, by the way. People think that's U-T-A-H. No, no it's E-W-T-A-E-U-T-A-W. Due to the limited number of people allowed in the bar, he was wet, but we toasted him through the window as the downpour <laughs> continued for the rest of the night. I'll never forget the wet sourpuss on his face. I can tell you that night his shirt was a green hefty. You think he still has it? It's a bag. Also, I have wondered where he got the trash bag. I don't remember us bringing it into the game. The second person is Kevin from Lancaster, who wanted to take you golfing. I attended college at Mansfield University with Kevin over 30 years ago. I know lots of good stories about him, but hey, it was college. The final emailer is Steve from Wilmington, Delaware, who I used to coach football with at the now-defunct Wesley College in Dover back in the 90s. Steve claim, Steve's claim was to stopping to pay the 50-cent toll at North Dover Exit off Route 1 entirely in pennies. Of course, that's back when people still use change. Wait a minute. You still probably use change. <laughs> Anyhow, I hope you at least have an easy pass. It worries me to think of you digging for change or greenbacks as your anxiety rises approaching another trip over the Bay Bridge on the way to Hope. I definitely have easy pass. It's one of the yeah. greatest inventions of Absolutely. all time. Absolutely. Uh, sincerely, all the best, Cam, uh, Kevin, Steve, and the TK Show. Is that not amazing, Jason that, Bowen and Dover? That is wild. Yeah. Isn't that something? Tim Cree writes us, since we spend so much time on the worst song ever, how about flipping for the most beautiful song ever? I'm leaning to either Bridge Over Troubled Water or Yesterday, but maybe I'm missing something obvious. Bridge Over Troubled Water is so stunningly beautiful. <laughs> it really and is. And Art Garfunkel hits notes that are so out of this world. Yeah. That, I, I mean, whatever song you might like in your finals, they have to beat Bridge Over Troubled Water. <laughs> yes, yeah. And they have to do that. That's how great that song is. If you're out on your bike tonight, as always, everybody, do wear white. Who is Tony? Tony Kornheiser. Who is that? Thank the PTI you, guy on ESPN. Stick up for okay. me. <laughs> <laughs>
It's just too big.